Shalom, this is Reverend John Ferret, and we're now in the Gospel According to Moses, Genesis, Lesson 64. And I titled this, Do the Unlawful to Prevent the Unspeakable. And we'll get to that in just a second, but before I do, I wanted to share a few comments on what I've taught before, especially here at the beginning of chapter 26. Because previously I had taught about how Isaac was like his dad, Abraham. There are things in Abraham's life that seem to have been repeated in Isaac's life. In Judaism, they have a saying, Ma'aseh avot sinam le'banim. The deeds of the fathers are signs for the sons. So let's take a look at this. Genesis 26, verses 1 through 6. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land that I will be with you and bless you and to you and to your descendants, and I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and will give your descendants all these lands, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me, and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac lived in Gerar. Now, we recall that Abraham was told by God to go, and Abraham went. There was a famine in Canaan, if you remember, when Abraham arrived. His, his name then was Avram. His wife's name was not Sarah at the time, it was Sarai. So Avram and Sarai went down to Egypt because of the famine. Uh, he comes back a little bit later. We read about how Abraham was rich. His herds were huge. His flocks were huge. He was a very rich, wealthy man. You can read this in Genesis 13, verse 2. So God had really blessed this man. But when we read about Isaac, and it's like we're seeing an echo of Abraham's life. It's like here in Genesis 26, 1 through 6. There's a famine in Canaan. And I'm just thinking, with a famine... Isaac is ready to leave. He's ready to go down to Egypt, the breadbasket of the world, just like his dad. But God tells Isaac, no, stay. I will bless you. Isn't that interesting? Abraham was told to go, and Abraham went from Haran to Canaan. And here, God is telling Isaac to stay. To stay in the midst of the famine, and I will bless you. Now, again, that's... It's an echo of Abraham's life. It's not exactly identical. But there are certain key ideas that are brought up again, like obey me and I will bless you. I will take care of you. In Genesis 12, verses 1, 2, and 3, God told Abraham to go. If you do, I will bless you. And now, with Isaac, it's the same concept. God told Isaac to stay. And I will bless you, and I will take care of you. Deeds of the fathers are signs for the sons. 
Now, did God bless Isaac? Has God blessed Abraham? Let's take a look. We're in chapter 26, reading verses 12 through 14. So Isaac stayed, remember. He's in the midst of the famine, and Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year, the same year of the famine, a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. For he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household, so that the Philistines envied him. Right in the middle of the famine, God is telling Isaac, rely on him, trust in him, and he'll take care of him, not only him, us, but we are sons and daughters of Abraham. Paul teaches this in Galatians 3, verses 6 through 7. And on top of that, we remember God says that he never changes. What's the message for us? Trust him, rely on him, make him our foundation. Say it, the Lord is my banner, and mean it, the Lord is my banner. Jesus taught us the same concept that he had inspired Moses to write here in Genesis 26. We go to Matthew 6, verses 31 through 34, and I invite you to read actually all of Matthew chapter 6. I'm just taking these verses to highlight what Jesus is teaching in context. He says, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So from Abraham to Isaac, from Isaac to Jacob, from Jacob to Moses, from Moses to David, from David to Hezekiah, from Hezekiah to Daniel, from Daniel to Jesus. What's the message? Trust in him. Rely on him. Depend upon him. Obey him. And watch how he will care for us. Watch how he will support us. And watch how he will provide all that we need to be his sheep. Lord is our shepherd and we shall not want. The sheep shall not want. Doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be filthy rich and have herds and flocks and all this amazing wealth that even the Philistines would be jealous. No, that's not it. But God will support us and take care of us as we rely on him and obey him to be the sheep of his flock. For more on this, I, again, we have gone already over the story of Abraham and Sarah, the miraculous birth of Isaac and Isaac growing up, marrying Rebekah. There's amazing connections to his dad. There's amazing connections to Yeshua in Isaac. So I invite you to go back into the Genesis series and look at lessons 48, 49, 50, 54, 55, and 59. These are dealing with Isaac. These are dealing with Isaac and Abraham, Isaac and Jesus. 
main concepts that are so important to us. So important to us to come directly out of God's Torah. And the lessons in these podcasts that I just mentioned, 48, 49, 50, 54, 55, and 59. Ma'ase avot sinam lebanim. The deeds of the fathers are signs for the sons. Remember, Abraham lied to Pharaoh. He lied to Pharaoh about Sarai, his wife. Later, Abraham did it again to Abimelech. And now we're in Genesis 26, and Isaac does the same thing. He lies to the king about his beautiful wife, Rebecca. Abraham, a liar. Isaac, a liar. And God did nothing. The Torah is silent. They were not accused of sin. And now we're getting at the focus of what I really want to concentrate on in this podcast. We ask ourselves, what's going on? Did they lie? Did they do the unlawful? Did they do the unlawful to prevent them being killed, their wives being killed or raped? Did they do the unlawful to prevent the unspeakable? There was a movie called The Imitation Game a while back. It talked about how England broke the Nazi code, the Enigma. And the movie claimed that once they broke the Nazi code, they had to keep it secret. They learned through the Nazi code that there was going to be a bombing of Coventry, England, and that Churchill actually did lie, did not say anything about the enigma, and hundreds of people were killed in Coventry because they would not in, in any way intercept the bombers that were going to Coventry because then they would be telling the Nazis that they broke the enigma. And the reason why England did not want in any way the Nazis to understand that they broke the enigma, they understood that the Nazis were developing an atomic bomb. And if for some reason the Nazis would have understood that England broke the enigma, they would have changed all the secret coding and they would have to start at ground zero. In other words, they would have to do the unlawful, do, do the terrible to prevent the unspeakable. Now this probably didn't happen, but it is a story that talks about what would you do in that situation? Would you do the unlawful to prevent the unspeakable? In the movie, it's just like Abraham and Isaac. But this was also true among the non-Jews of Europe. True! Story after story of Gentile Christians who lied to the Nazis to protect Jews from being taken to the camps and to the gas chambers. They did something biblically un unlawful to prevent the unspeakable. So this is our focus in Lesson 64. It challenges us. God says, do not lie. 
in Leviticus chapter 11. It's a sin. Then what about the Bible liars? Abraham, Isaac, Rahab, David. On top of that, you guys, what would you do? What would happen if you're between a rock and a hard place? What if you were in an impossible dilemma? Would you do the unlawful to prevent the unspeakable? So come, let's go study. And let's study this concept of doing the unlawful to prevent the unspeakable. Now, this whole situation br brings me to an issue. In our lives, are there white lies that are acceptable to God and not considered a sin? As opposed to black lies that are truly lies and are evil. Is there a difference? Consider some of the Bible liars. Abraham! Lied twice. Went to Pharaoh? Oh, that's my sister. Then lied to Abimelech. What's my sister? Well, this, that's kind of partially true. But he lied. But what's fascinating is, later on, in the Abimelech situation, Abraham lies to Abimelech, okay? Abimelech finds out that Sarah is his wife, but it so happened that Abimelech and his family, they couldn't have children, so Abraham, the liar, prays, and God answers Abraham's prayer so that Abimelech, that his wives and his mates could have children. So here's a liar, and God answers his prayer. Interesting. He lied about Sarah twice, and here's the situation. Remember this. If he lies to Pharaoh, he lives, Sarah is raped, but maybe one day they may be back together again because she'll be taken advantage of by Pharaoh. Okay, if he, if he lies, he lives. She's raped, but they may be back together again. If he doesn't lie, he's a dead man. He's caught between a rock and a hard place. What are you going to do? He lied. Now, is that a white lie? Is that accepted by God? Let me keep on going. Sarah, she's complicit with Abraham. She didn't say a word. Abraham says, I'm going to lie. Great, no problem. I'll go along with it. Now, God never mentions her sin. Oh, and by the way, remember when the three uh, angels show up, and one of them is God. And God is saying, and Sarah overhears this, and this time next year, Sarah will have a son. And she's laughing. And God, who's one of the angels, said, did you laugh? He said, I didn't laugh. Liar. Okay. God never condemns her for lying. Matter of fact, Sarah never asked for forgiveness. And one year later, she had Isaac. What? What's going on here? Isaac, just like his dad, he lied to Abimelech, probably a different king. 
because the word Abi, uh, Abimelech is Avimelech, Avimelech. My father the king, my father the king. That's not a name. So it could be the next king of the Philistines. It could be the same one. So he says, Rebecca is my sister. She's complicit. He's the child of promise. He's the one, I mean, this, the... God and Torah are the silent. And on top of that, this liar, Isaac, okay, and his complicit wife, they're in the midst of a famine. So you would think God would say, all oh, those liars, let them die and let them starve to death. No, he comes to Isaac and stay here and I'm going to bless you. And so we just read it. This, becomes, this guy becomes fantastically rich. The liar. No mention in there of God saying, you need to seek repentance. You need to go to confession and see a... Oh, that's Catholicism. That wasn't invented yet. Anyway, so it, you, you, it's not there. Rebecca, she told Jacob to lie. She saw the danger to the family, right? The danger to the bait up. Now, you, again, like I said, if you don't have these discovery guides by Ray Vanderland for the DVDs that you're getting, you're missing a big point. This is, it's full of stuff, okay? That's not in the, the DVD. I mean, you have a lesson for 20 minutes, and then he goes into the rest of the story in here for pages and pages and pages. Now, she takes matters into her own hands. So the question is, when she takes matters into our, this is the great discussions we have as Christians. Was that God's plan A? Or did God have a plan B? Or did he have a plan C? We can speculate all you want. The Torah only says this is what happened. I don't know what we do with that. And you can speculate till the cows come home or the sheep come home since Isaac was a shepherd. Okay, the thing is, is that was there a plan A, a plan B, a plan C? I don't know. The Torah doesn't say. She did it for a greater good. She did it to save the family. Jacob lies outright to his dad. I am Esau, he says. Liar! But he's obeying his mother. Does that justify the lie? Both are in this together. Deceive the deceiver, save the family. Now in Leviticus 19.11, by the way, this is interesting for you, there are ten commandments. One of the commandments says that you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's a legal term so you will not lie in court. That's all it means. Commandment number 10 has got nothing to do with just lying. You need to understand the Hebrew and the legal terms of the ancient Near East. But in Leviticus 19.11, God says, and do not lie. The Hebrew word there is shakar, which means to color over with a paintbrush. Isn't that a wonderful picture of lying? I like that. That's Hebrew, okay? You're covering over the truth with a paintbrush. Jacob, Rebekah, broke Torah. Rahab, remember the two Hebrews? They came in to spy the city of Jericho. She lied to the Canaanites in the city. Oh, no, I don't know where they are. They must have left. In the meantime, what are they hiding in the, under a bed or on the roof? Or, on the roof, yeah, exactly. She lied to save their... She's a liar! And what does God do? Saves her and her family. And on top of that, she's mentioned as one of the ancestors of Jesus. The liar. Huh? David? 
he leaves the situation where Saul, he finds out through his friend Jonathan, that indeed Jonathan, because of the arrow situation, okay, he finds out that Saul is out to kill him. So he leaves, and the first place he goes to is a city called Nob, which was a suburb of, uh, at that time, the city of Jebus. You know it as Jerusalem. It becomes Jerusalem later. But he's at, and that's where the, that's where the uh, tabernacle was. And he goes there, and the high priest says, Hey, David, what are you doing? And David lies to him and says, I'm on a secret mission for the king. Really? Where's your men? Well, like I said, they're, secret, they're hiding. Hey, can I have some of the, uh, the, the, uh, the showbread? What? Yeah, the showbread. You're not supposed to eat that. I'm hungry. And he got the showbread. He lied. Lied right through his teeth. He was not on a secret mission. He was running for his life. And on top of that, do you understand that Jesus, in Matthew 12, 3, I'll give you the verse, or the context there, Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees about the, his disciples breaking off grains of wheat in a wheat field on the, on the Sabbath. And he says, don't you remember what David did? Jesus brings up that, that situation. Jesus never condemns him as a liar. What? Do not lie. Peter denies Jesus three times. Remember that? He lied. Boy, did he lie. And on top of that, remember Jesus gave him the look. When you read the situation, he got the look, and all of a sudden he went out and he wept bitterly. Now, the answers to all of this, this is a dilemma, is beyond my pay rate. I don't know what to do with this. Torah is exact. Do not lie. <laughs> Wait a minute. Now, Dennis Prager used to have a radio program, and uh, weekly they would have he would have a priest, a minister, and a rabbi on, and they would be talking about issues of faith. So one time he posed the story to them. He said, there's a woman that's being chased by a guy who's going to rape her, okay? And uh, so you're standing there in the park, uh, and all of a sudden the woman comes running, uh, obviously way ahead of the evil guy that's trying to rape her, and says, oh, you got to hide me, you got to hide me. There's a guy chasing me, he wants to rape me, please hide me. So you hide her, okay? So the guy comes up and says, I'm looking for this woman. You know, where, where is she, you know? And then he said to the priest and the minister and the rabbi, what would you say? And it's very interesting. The priest said, well, You've got to make sure you don't lie. And he said, this has happened to every priest he's had on. The minister, Protestant minister, say, oh, no, you can't lie. You have to say things in a certain way that's not a lie. The rabbi, what did the rabbi say? What woman? <laughs> Lied through his teeth. Now, this gets very interesting because you see the priest and the minister were saying, use words that would not force you to lie. Remember Corey Tenblum, okay? In her book, The Hiding Place, she was visiting her sister-in-law, her sister-in-law, Nali, and they were in uh, Belgium or wherever, Holland. Now, the two boys of uh, her sister-in-law, Oh, they're, they're the nephews. No, they were the nephews of, of their sister-in-law. Uh, they were not Jewish. But what the Germans were doing was taking 
Hollanders or whatever, whatever, or Belgium, whoever they were, and they were putting them in the factories, putting them in the forced labor. Now, they were getting paid, I think, and they didn't want to get forced into this. So they came into the house, and what had happened was there was a trap door under the dining room table. So Lolly and Corey Tenblum moved it, they pulled the rug in, and they put the two boys underneath there, closed the trap door, put the rug, and put the table on. And all of a sudden, there's a knock, okay, on the, uh, on the front door, and it's the German soldiers looking for the two boys. And they came in and said, where are those two boys, and that type of stuff. And Lolly starts laughing. She says, well, of course, they're under the table. And they looked at, you know, I mean, said, well, yeah, they're under, like, as if it's, you know, well, can't you see them? They're under the table. They were. They're under the table. But the problem is this. Corey Tenblum in her book says, did we deceive so that it was a lie? The family was very, very troubled. Now, they're a Christian family. They lied to the Nazis. That's in Corey Tenblum. And the thing is, is that I think Corey Tenblum would say the same thing. Okay, to answer this issue is beyond my pay grade. Churchill, Winston Churchill. He actually, when you actually watch movies and read the history and so on, they broke the Nazi code, the secret code of communication. And they wanted to keep it a secret because they knew the Germans were developing the atomic bomb. And so they needed it. This is real history. So what had happened was they got communication that the Germans were about to attack a city in, London, uh, in England. And they knew about it. But if they did anything to prevent the planes from coming to bomb that city, they would basically let the Germans know that they had the code. The city was bombed. And thousands and thousands and thousands of English citizens were killed because he did something awful to prevent something unspeakable. What do you do? So it's an awesome issue. And like I said, it's very perplexing to me and it's beyond my pay grade to even offer a solution. I don't even know, how to, I don't even know where to begin. But I'll tell you this. If I was on the Dennis Prager show and there was a rabbi and a priest and me and they actually brought up that situation, I would agree with the rabbi. I'd lie through my teeth to protect life. That's me. So I'm not trying to tell you that just because that's what I would do, that that's what you should do. Because this is a fascinating idea and a fascinating issue. So basically, according to Leviticus 1911, I broke Torah. That's a sin to save a life. You know what I really like, though? Torah is a real book. It deals with real people. It deals with real situations. I never saw how torn apart Isaac and Rebecca's marriage was until studying Esau and Jacob the way I have. Torah teaches what we're like. You guys, we're like this. This is about us. We're the Isaacs. We're the Rebecca's. We're the Jacobs. We're the Esau's. Don't think you're some sort of saint. We're sinners just like them. There's no superheroes in the Bible. Besides, I can't relate to a superhero. I can't relate to Jesus. I can relate to him as a man, but I can't relate to him as God. I, that, 
It, you know what I mean? But I can relate to a person who struggles like I am. I can relate to those situations where, for me, I have to do something awful to prevent something worse. Those are real situations. There's a second issue that I have to bring up. Jumps out at me. Isaac is blind. Okay, now he had a blindness that wasn't physical blindness because he preferred Esau. He was blinded by his son, macho guy, you know, and that type of stuff. But there was a real blindness too. And it was interesting because as I was studying, I remember in one of the commentaries, I can't remember if it was Kareed or JPS or whatever, uh, whoever the commentator was that talked about, blindness is something that's used a lot in the Bible. And I figured, well, this is a good time to, you know, check that out. And when I looked at that, the blindness of Isaac was a physical blindness. But aren't we just like him? Aren't we blinded? Okay, to the truth. That's why you're here tonight. We want to know the truth. And not, not that I am the sole source of truth. Okay, we know God is the sole source of truth. So we take Bible studies. We read. We're studying. There's a lot of people. I mean, this is why we're doing that, to seek that. But all of us are susceptible to teachers who tickle our ears. That's what we like. Oh, I love that. Okay. It took me a long time to get away or a long time to realize that there are teachers who tickle my ears because it just sounds so cool and it's garbage. So I want to consider the following statement in the Torah. Deuteronomy 29.3. Actually in your Bibles, because there is a, uh, a not a proper transfer of these verses, a numbering system from the Hebrew Bible to the Christian Bible. Uh, so yours would be Genesis 29.4. But it basically is this. Let me read this from the uh, Fox translation. But Yahweh has not given you a mind to know or eyes to see or ears to hear until this day. Okay? Now mind, you have heart in there because that's exactly what was going on in the ancient Near East. The heart was the place where your mental capability was. So therefore, you'll see heart. And that's what it said is in Hebrew. Fox is trying to give you the idea it really means mind. But it's really heart. Because that's what they believed in the ancient Near East. So it should say, but Yahweh has not given you a heart to know or eyes to see or ears to hear until this day. Now this is interesting. The New American Standard doesn't say it that way. New American Standard says, yet to this day, the Lord has not given you eyes to see or ears to hear or heart to understand. The ESV has a different way. And it says, but to this day. The Lord has not given you. So it's very interesting, and there's a debate among the, the, uh, among the commentaries. Does it mean this? Because it could mean this. It could mean, because that's what the Hebrew is. Could it mean that on this day, God is saying, Moses tell the people, today's the day. I'm going to give you eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand. Today's the day. And it could mean that. There are commentators who said that's what we think the Hebrew means. However, there is another meaning, and that would be this. Even until today, I have not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. In other words, even till this day, after all I've done for you, you I'm still not going to give it to you. I think it's that one. Okay? 
Let me show you why. What do the Hebrews do the first thing after they conquer the Holy Land? It's the first thing. Judges 2, Judges 2, verse 10. That whole generation turned from God and started serving the Canaanite gods of Baal. Wait a minute. If indeed in Genesis, in Deuteronomy 29.4, it says, today's the day, you got it, yay. You got a heart to understand and eyes to see and ears to hear. Then why did you turn away? Let's take a look again. I'm going to go to 32.28. Just a few verses, a few pages later in Deuteronomy. Look what God says. And by the way, this is in what they call the Song of Moses. God has told Moses that they're supposed to sing this song starting in verse 32. So this is what's going to be about the future. So in Deuteronomy 32, verse 28 and 29, For a nation straying from counsel are they, meaning Israel. In them there is no understanding. If only they were wise, they would contemplate this. They would understand their future. Okay, so this verse really clarifies 29.4. It really seems to suggest that the answer for 29.4 is God is saying, I have not given you a heart to understand, ears to hear, or eyes to see, even until this day. And then it continues on. We read about the time of the judges. Now we're going to go into Isaiah 8, 6 through 10. We read this, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who shall will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and tell this to the people. Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. It continues. It's the same idea. And especially the same three words. Ears, eyes, and heart. Isaiah 42 Isaiah 42, starting in verse 18, we read this. Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. But who is blind but my servant? Who's the servant? Well, let's go to Isaiah 41, verses 8 and 9. But you, Israel, my servant. Jacob, whom I've chosen, descendants of Abraham, my friend. You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts and said to you, you are my servant. This goes on. I think what God is trying to teach us, you guys, this is our human condition. We do not have a heart to understand, eyes to see, or ears to hear. There's a problem here looking for a solution. And it continues on. This, goes, this is why I wanted to bring up this blindness thing. Jesus in Matthew 13 he just did the, the parable of the sower and the seed. You'll remember this. He tells his disciples, to you guys it's been given the right to know these aspects. But then he says this in verse 13. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled which says you will keep on hearing but will not understand, you will keep on seeing but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. Paul does the same thing. 
And then we go all the way to the book of Revelation. Jew and Gentile alike in the city of Laodicea. There were Gentiles in that assembly. Probably a messianic assembly, probably doing Judaism, okay, but as Christians living that Jesus Christ is Messiah and Lord. And what do we read there? I know your deeds. So I'm in, uh, by the way, um, Revelation 3, starting in verse 15. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And all of a sudden, we're beginning to see the solution to the problem that's begging for an answer. Who's the one that provides the ISAB so that you can see? Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. You, all of us, who've been saved by grace, are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus. We're His workmanship. Somehow He's done something to us because of the cross. And what has He done? 2 Corinthians 5.17 In Christ, you're new creatures. Old things have passed away. The heart that doesn't understand, the eyes that don't see, the ears that don't hear, it's taken away. And new things have come. New ears. New eyes, new heart. I think so. So today we can say, I rejoice. Again, I can say rejoice. Because only in Yeshua can we see, can we hear, and can we have a heart to understand. So indeed, without Jesus, all mankind does not have the eyes to see, ears to hear, or a heart to understand. It's so apparent with the chaos that's around us the chaos in the church. Only in Him do we receive the ISAV like the picture painted in the letter to Laodicea. The ISAV from Jesus to see. Indeed, if we immerse ourselves in Him and His Word, He helps us see and hear and understand the truth and understand the truth that sets us free. So let's rejoice. We are new men and women in Jesus. Something happens. Just like I taught here at the beginning of Lesson 64, be like Abba. Be like our dad. Be like Abraham. Why? Abraham relied on God. He trusted in Him. We want to be the same, to totally dependent on our Father. Release ourself to Him, because in Psalm 23, in verse 4, it talks about the fact that even in the valley of shadow of death, He is with us. Now, as we go into Lesson 65, we're going to learn 
more about Esau. We're going to find out that his name means Edom, which means red. We're going to talk about his grandson Amalek. And we're going to talk about the different tribes that come out of Esau, the Edomites and the Amalekites. And they are enemies of Israel throughout the rest of the book. I'm going to take a look at this and see how it even carries on to the end of times. So Esau is Edom, the father of the Edomites, the father of the Red Ones, Edom. Just curious, interesting thought. If you go to Revelation chapter 12, you're going to read about the great red dragon. Satan, the devil. Huh. Red. Edom. Is there a connection? Is there a connection from Revelation back to the days of Jacob and Esau? Back to Esau, who was a rebel, who blatantly rejected God, blatantly rejected the covenant? Just like Satan is a rebel going to see some very interesting concepts about Esau, Edom, the Amalekites. So I'll see you in Lesson 65. Until then, Shalom.